Expert Insights is an ongoing medical education podcast. The Carl Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please click on the link and complete the episode's post-test. This podcast forum is brought to you to share expertise and insights within our integrated delivery system to help us improve the health of the people we serve and achieve world-class accessible care. This is Expert Insights. Welcome to Expert Insights from the Carl Foundation Hospital. I'm Dr. David Hill, and today we're offering potentially life-saving information on heart attacks and sudden cardiac death with Dr. Issam Musa, Medical Director of the Heart and Vascular Institute at Carl Health and Associate Dean for Research and Innovation at the Carl Illinois College of Medicine. Dr. Musa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. So I want to talk about a story that's been going around the medical community. A lot of us follow a TikTok and Instagram celebrity who's an ophthalmologist who goes by Dr. Glockham Flecken, not his real name. But he famously died in the middle of sleeping. And then his wife, who's an obstetrician, resuscitated him. He's not the only person I know that happened to. I actually have a friend who's a cardiologist who had to do the same thing for her husband. So to most of us, sudden cardiac death sounds exactly the same as a heart attack. And yet there are some really important differences in these conditions. Can you talk about what they are and how they differ? Yeah, absolutely. I thank you for the question. I could see how that can be confusing to many. So to put it simply, sudden cardiac death can be due to a major heart attack or can be a pure electric phenomenon in the heart where the heart electrical system comes to a stop, right? So sudden cardiac death then can be caused by a heart attack or an electrical event in the heart that has nothing to do with a heart attack. On the other hand, when we say a heart attack, this is when we have a sudden 100% blockage in one of the arteries that supply the heart with blood. Right? So the way you think about it, one to understand that the heart attack is due to sudden lack of blood supply to the heart. Sudden death, on the other hand, may be due to the heart attack, but also may be due to the electrical system of the heart ceasing to function suddenly. So that's really the simplest way I would put it. That's fantastic. Let me throw in a third term just to confuse matters. Angina. I mean, we know that a heart attack will usually cause pain, discomfort in the chest. Angina sounds like a heart attack. There's a blockage. There's chest pain. Are those the same things? So angina right, is a symptom. So in a sense, a heart attack is an actual damage to the heart muscle. Angina can be a symptom of a heart attack or a symptom of a partial blockage that causing pain in the chest but not a heart attack because the blockage is not 100%. So the main distinction really that the heart attack is actual damage to the heart, the angina is a symptom that comes with a heart attack or without a heart attack. That's very helpful to hear. Now, speaking of angina, I think we think of that as the first warning sign that somebody's having a heart attack, but does everybody having a heart attack experience angina? And if they do, do they experience it in the same way? Very, very important question. Really very impactful for patients. Not every patient with a heart attack will have the typical angina. So the typical angina is a feeling of pressure 
in the middle of the chest and a sense of numbness or pain that radiates to the arm or the back. So this is the typical angina. Not everyone with a heart attack will have that particular symptom. Some patients could have breathing difficulty, a sense that they can't just breathe normally. Some could have pain in their upper neck and their jaw. Some may feel very weak and sweaty. And especially in diabetic patients, patients who have diabetes, they tend not to describe this chest pain, but other alternative symptoms. So angina is the most famous symptom, but unfortunately, not every heart attack presents with angina. And what about women and men? Are there sex differences in how people experience symptoms of a heart attack? So yes, women tend to have more atypical symptoms. And when we say atypical, meaning not angina the way we know it. Obviously, some women do have angina, right? So angina does occur both in men and women. However, in women, there's more frequently they would have symptoms other than angina. That could be, again, breathing difficulty, sweating, weakness, sometimes nausea and vomiting, that symptoms that they may confuse with stomach issues. Hmm. That does sound really confusing. So there are a lot of other symptoms that are not just classic chest or shoulder pain. Did we cover them all? Is there anything else we should be thinking about or looking for that should worry us about the possibility of a heart attack? No, I mentioned, right, I saw angina on the top, breathing difficulty, weakness, nausea, vomiting, and fatigue. Those are really in terms of frequency. Now, some people may have a heart attack, especially small ones, and when we ask them if they ever had any symptoms, they say no. Now, does that mean there's truly, totally asymptomatic heart attacks? We don't know because sometimes the symptoms can be mild and subtle, and maybe either a patient didn't pay attention, right? But there is a category where patients deny actually having symptoms. So there is a category of, unquote, asymptomatic heart attacks, but typically those tend to be small because if it's a large heart attack and really significant damage to the heart, a person would feel it somehow. So say I'm having some of these symptoms, maybe with exercise or without exercise even, got maybe some chest discomfort, shoulder discomfort, nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath. Should I just wait for those things to pass? They'll get better in time? Or is it important to get care? And if so, how much time do I have? Yeah. Again, another important question. I would say the most common reason why patients don't come to the hospital in time is denial, right? And because what happened often if a person have chest pressure or pain or things that they haven't had in the past, the initial tendency is to say, ah, oh, this is nothing, right? So this is really common. So it is really important, obviously, when someone have symptoms that they never had in the past, obviously, at the same time, we don't want to scare people that every time there's something in the chest to run to the hospital. But if that sensation is totally new, never happened in the past, is severe enough, right? Severe enough that one say, gosh, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, right? So both a new symptom, severe enough, especially in the age group. Obviously, the older the person, the more likely the event. But still, this event, heart attack, could happen with people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, right? Not only 60s and 70s, statistically less, li less likely. So new onset symptom, severe enough, right, in the chest, I think one should definitely seek attention. Now, obviously, 
if the pain comes for just two minutes and goes away by itself, and you're totally fine, one could schedule a visit right with a doctor and go see the doctor within a few days. If the pain is there for 10, 15 minutes, then it's a 911 call or a visit to the emergency room. So the time and the severity is really important to say, okay, what should I do about it? So let's say I have these symptoms and I'm smart enough to say, wait a second, this isn't right. I had to stop mowing the lawn and sit down and maybe I better get this seen. So I go to the ER or I call EMS. What are they going to do for me? So the first thing when a patient go to the emergency room with symptoms suggestive of a heart attack is obviously to measure the what are called vitals, the blood pressure, the heart rate, and get what's called an electrocardiogram, which is a map to the electrical activity of the heart. And the electrocardiogram in over 90% of patients, if there's a heart attack, would show some changes. Now here, obviously, when we say heart attacks, there are different kinds, and obviously there's no time to go, but something called ST elevation, and I know this is a technical term, but it is fundamental term because some heart attacks, when they're small and certain areas in the heart, they may not show on the EKG. So a normal EKG doesn't rule out all heart attacks, but it's 90% rule out major heart attacks. So typically the EKG in a real ST elevation heart attack would show changes, and then if those changes exist and the patient have symptoms, the best therapy is to send the patient to the catheterization laboratory. So it's more an operating room where we go inside the heart through an artery in the wrist or the groin without surgery. We take pictures for the arteries, and if there's a blockage, the blockage get opened right away. So that's kind of the ideal response if somebody have a major heart attack. Are there medicines that can be helpful in the beginning or in the middle of a heart attack as well? Yes. So the first response would be before coming to the lab is to give aspirin. And there's multiple other blood thinners that also we give, something called clopidogrel, and there's two others. We also give intravenous heparin. There's other medicine, too, based on the blood pressure and the heart rate. So certainly when the patient comes to the ER, they will receive a set of medicine to thin the blood and probably to slow the heart rate if the heart rate is going too fast. Now, the clot busters, they used to be used in the past to try to give a very strong blood thinner to lyse the clot, but that's not really indicated if the patient comes timely to the emergency room. If they come within a few hours or three hours, four or five hours of the chest pain, we prefer to take them directly to the cath lab to open the artery mechanically. That's a more effective way in opening the artery than a clot buster. So it sounds like we've got this real golden window of time where if we act quickly, we can get a patient to the cath lab, plus or minus some medications, and get that artery open and really save heart muscle and often lives. Is that correct? Absolutely. So coming timely, right, to the hospital and opening the artery is life-saving, right? And this has been demonstrated for decades. And obviously the main problem that unfortunately not a lot of people come timely, right? Some delay more than 12 hours, some for days, right? Because of this not knowing when to go and maybe denial and other factors. So Again, seeking attention timely when they suspect there's something wrong with the heart, you know, and having those new severe symptoms is really critical to both save muscle and save lives. 
All right. So don't go to sleep and hope that you're going to wake up in the morning and be fine. Is that right? Absolutely. Because as you know, your story and other stories does happen more often than we would like to see. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave us with today, Dr. Musa? Yes, that obviously people need to take care of themselves, right? This is for prevention, but also if they specifically they have risk factors like diabetes, high blood pressure, smoking, family history, and they begin to have symptoms in their chest that's concerning to them, right? That feels not just the ordinary thing that they have every day. It is important to really just act on it rather than deny it. Because worst case scenario, you go to the emergency room and they find it's not from the heart, which can happen, right? But I think, obviously, on the other side, if there's something real, it is life or death. So I would, again, suggest that people take these things seriously if they do have those sort of symptoms. Those are literally words to live by. Dr. Issa Musa, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. For more information and to get connected with one of our providers, please visit carl.org. Thank you for listening to Expert Insights from the Carl Foundation Hospital and tune in again for more useful health information.